Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We are also going to be doing our spoiler-filled review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. structured my weekend around trying to do the justice league the four hour thing Mm -hmm. luckily i didn't have work this past weekend so i was able to complete in one of my classes we had a little essay film where we had to go out excuse me i'm getting emotional talking about it we had to go out to the uh (laughs) well i went out to the arboretum and took pictures and then Mm -hmm. we had to combine and edit all those stills together and then throw just a mini like essay over it hence Mm -hmm. essay film so i was able to do that and then get to treat myself to the snyder cut so did you did you watch it all in one go or did you break it up i did break it up it was a weird breakup though because i watched an hour in like 20 minutes and then I paused, and then, and that was on the Saturday. And then the next day is when I set aside the three hours to complete the film. Mm-hmm. What about you? Did you? I watched. Brave and did it in one go. I really tried to because I really wanted to experience it all at once, but I it didn't fit my schedule, and so I watched three hours. Then I had to go do something. I watched that on Friday, and then on Saturday I came back and watched the last hour. Wow. And then I watched. Then after that, I wanted more Zack Snyder, so I watched Man of Steel again. And then I realized that I still hadn't seen the original Justice League with Joss Whedon. So on Monday, I watched that. And then today, I was just like, fuck it. I'll just catch up on all of it. So I watched uh, Batman vs. Superman, Donald Justice Ultimate Edition, which is three hours today. So this weekend, I was able to watch everything, everything except the Wonder Woman and Aquaman solo movies. I I watched all the Zack Snyder products. Yeah, you had a whole Snyderverse to yourself this weekend. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. It's amazing. So that seems like a good sign for your reaction to the Snyder Cut, and we will get there. Mm-hmm. But first we got some news to talk about. So Matthew McConaughey, our boy, he's returning mm-hmm. to television for HBO's A Time for Mercy, which is going to be a series. Mm-hmm. That's a sequel to the movie A Time to Kill, which was made in 1996. McConaughey starred in. That was one of the early films he was able to get some traction with. And that is an adaptation of Josh Grisham's novel, following a trial lawyer. And last year, the author came out with a sequel to it. Now they're adapting that, and McConaughey is returning. Mm-hmm. So despite him out there doing a book despite these talks about him running for governor he's not done with acting <laughs> yet we still got more mcconaughey to see on screen all right all right all right <laughs> well first i'd like to say uh john grisham not josh grisham and you know uh, that's a great point i did yeah. that somewhere else which <laughs> it was we'll get to it later but when i was 
writing down one of the actors for the Justice League thing, I wrote down John instead of the correct one, which was Joe. So I don't know why I'm getting my J names messed up, but good catch. I know today when I was watching Batman vs. Superman, I found out that Scott McNary's real name is Scoot McNary. And I've been calling him Scott the whole time, but his name is Scoot. And I, had, I just had no idea. My my That's brain just phenomenal. saw his name every time and it just auto-corrected to Scott, I guess. But I've seen A Time to Kill, have you? I have not. I've seen the scene towards the end where he kills it with his acting and is like mm-hmm. crying and whatnot. So I saw that. Didn't see well, the rest of it, though. Is it, it is on HBO Max if you want to watch it. It's still there. That's how I watched it. And it is uh, the only Joel Sh- Schumacher film that I've seen that I actually like. Uh, I think the only other two I've seen are uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which I don't really like. But <laughs> A Time to Kill is great. Yeah, it's got uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Sandra Bullock, Kevin Spacey, uh, Oliver Ooh. Platt. And, oof, man, what a, what a, it's just not what I expected from a courtroom drama. I'm a sucker for courtroom dramas, and this was just exactly what I needed. It was A Time to Kill. So I just, I think I just watched it at the right time. I really liked it. Yeah, I do. So, I mean, I guess when the series comes out, I'll probably visit it mm-hmm. since that's obviously going to HBO. So it'll stay on HBO Max, the movie. So I will visit it at some point, but I'm it's glad to know that it is, in fact, very good. Mm-hmm. Plus, you're a huge McConaughey fan. I mean, you got to watch know. everything, you know, Marv. I watched that. There was <laughs> <laughs> Don't Let Me Leave, Marv. Marv. Oh, Marv, don't let me leave. So definitely want to visit that. I also want to watch, I've been trying to see Contact, but it's mm. not, It. I thought it was on Prime recently, but maybe that was a false memory. That's what I wanted to happen, and it maybe. isn't actually available there yet. But I, was I do to want to see it. that as well. I want to watch the one where he's the dragon killer. That's like it's not supposed to be a good movie, but in his autobiography, he talked about training for it. He talked about like running miles every, wanting to run miles every day, and wanting to stand on the roof and like act like he's gonna fall off, and then he couldn't do it. And he like burned his feet and stuff running on the pavement, and he just couldn't do it. And then he shaved his head for the role, which a lot of people didn't want him to do, and he just did it anyway. Just a lot of interesting things around this role that I've just never heard of before. I know. That movie is called Reign of Fire, I think, and that is also Mm -hmm. one that I noted, yes, that I was like, I want to see this. Because first of all, he looks so cool with his head shaved like that. Yeah, and the beard. I looked up, yes, I was like, dude, that's crazy. He should, Mm -hmm. like, that sort of look, he should be in more fantasy stuff. They get him on the Game of Thrones prequel they're doing with the Targaryen stuff. I want to see him up there. Well, I mean. He looked amazing. If he can do an accent, I mean, it'd be weird to just throw in someone with a Texas accent in Westeros. But if he can well, do a British accent, I don't know if he can. But if I he can, so. it'd be cool. Well, this would be not on Westeros. It'd be on the other continent. So well, still. They, could be, they could play around with... <laughs> it's still it weird. Thing. I mean, sure, but they can make an exception for McGonaghan. It would be weirder is if, I mean, they don't all have the same accents, right? They can't all be British accents, so there's got to be some flavor in there. We can get them in. I mean, I guess. <laughs> Just let me believe that there's a world where McGonaghy could be in Game of Thrones. But anyway, 
yes, that movie, Rain of Fire, definitely want to see. That was from his book, Green Lights, which, by the way, you still have one of these days. I know. I need to get it back to you. It's sitting on my shelf right now. Beautiful. Watching over you. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, so yeah, so that contact, definitely want to see. And then A Time to Kill is also added to the watch list for McConaughey. All right. Amazon Studios is announcing that they're working on Ace Ventura 3 with Jim Carrey reprising the role as Ace Ventura. And it's going to be written by the Sonic the Hedgehog writers, Pat Casey and Josh Miller. Have you seen the Ace Ventura movies? I have. Me too. Like, as a kid, I would watch those. And honestly, I like them. It's just Jim Carrey being stupid. But I liked it back then. I don't know if I'm going to like Ace Ventura 3. That will certainly remain. We'll see how that goes. But I think it's pretty funny that he's reprising this role after doing the Robotnik thing in Sonic the Hedgehog. And I'm a fan of Jim Carrey. So if he's doing stuff like this and it makes him happy and he's excited to do it, then I'm happy for him. And then I'm happy that it's happening too. What yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, I was a really big fan of the Ace Ventura movies when I was a kid, but I haven't seen them since then. I don't know if I'm still a fan. I'd have to rewatch them. I lo- the only thing I really remember is that in the opening of Ace Ventura 2, when the animal is hanging on the wire over a cliff and he has to like slowly work his way out there and it falls and he's like, no, and then it title card. That's that's what I remember about Ace Ventura 2. And wasn't Ace Ventura 1, wasn't the villain... The villain was... It was a, a, an actress, like a, a, a cis woman actress. And then the plot twist at the end was that she was actually just a man. A man pretending to be a woman. Like, not a trans woman, a man actually just pretending to be a woman. Was the twist. I... I have absolutely no memory of that. I thought it dealt with like Dan Marino and the Dolphins thing and trying to get the ring back. That's what I remember of it. I yeah, but in the that. end, in the end, he pulls down her pants and she has a penis. Like I remember this. <laughs> I can, I'm not making this up. This is real. That uh, part I may have blocked out of my mind. I remember this because I remember watching it when I was a kid and thinking, this is this is strange. I don't know if I should be watching this. It was just weird. Huh. I, I don't know. I'll need to check up on that afterwards and see. Because that certainly I do not remember at all. But that's funny. Moving on from that. So are you going to... You're gonna watch Ace Ventura three? That'd be a fun little like get together. Yeah, to watch yeah, with friends. sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd watch it. Of course, I love Jim Carrey. I'll support anything he does. Oh, see, I'll watch there you it. Go. Beautiful. All right, moving on from that, Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode one came out this past week. Did you watch it, Dylan? I did. Did it you was, like? I did just because it met my expectations perfectly it was exactly what i thought it was going to be it's just a fun action show with a couple of twists and turns every once in a while that isn't too crazy about like mcu future and stuff it's just like here's falcon here's winter soldier they're each going through personal things 
action comedy. It's fun. It's exactly what I thought it would be. Uh, I mean, I'm excited. They, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it for you or the listeners because you haven't watched it yet, but it should be fun. I'll let you know if it's worth watching or if it's just a fun action thing. But either way, I think you should watch it. It's only six episodes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's not, I mean, it's not like a crazy time investment. No. Although Disney Plus is always weird with the length of the episode. So how long mm-hmm. was episode one? This one was 45 minutes, around 45 minutes uh, without the credits. So it was close to an okay. hour with the credits. Gotcha. So more of a standard, right, network show. Yeah, yeah. All right. And speaking of the future of the MCU, Disney has announced that Black Widow will be released July 9th, 2021. And they are doing their in theaters and on Disney Plus with Premiere Access dual release so it's been getting pushed back for a year now but finally Mm -hmm. it seems like this will be the date that for sure black widow will come out Mm -hmm. and there are some other shifts in the disney release schedule as well luca is being released on disney plus june 18th and that is for no extra cost Mm -hmm. we're doing the sole strategy with that Pixar film and Shang-Chi will be released September 3rd. For now, it is still looking like it'll be theaters only. We'll see if that changes, but hopefully, right? This seems like it'll be the last time that we play the musical chairs with the release dates of the movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Luca, Luca might be the only one that I just stream instead of go to the theaters, especially because it's for no extra cost. So I might as well stream it. But the other two, if they're coming out in July and September, um, this might be hopeful. Maybe it'll be realistic. I don't know. But I'm assuming I'm going to have a, a vaccine in my body by <laughs> July. I'm assuming. I mean, based on how it's been rolled out so far. If we keep doing what we're doing, the model predicts that, like, what, 70 to 80% of the U.S. population will have a vaccine by June, July, August. So I'm assuming I'll be in that majority. I hope. And if that's the case, and a lot of the people around me have vaccines in them as well, I will put on a mask, and I will go to the theaters, and I will watch Black Widow in theaters instead of paying 30 bucks to watch it on my TV with the sound speaker that cuts in and out. Because I would much prefer the theater experience. Same for Shang-Chi, especially if it's in September, and Eternals in November and Spider-Man in December. I will just right. go to the theater and wear a mask, stay away from everybody else, not get food so I don't have to take off my mask. I think it should be fine. Is that realistic? I'd or imagine is that... even in... No, I think that's that optimistic. Realistic. Also that too, but I think it's both. I think at this point we can be both realistic and optimistic about the midsummer time being a point where we've surpassed the COVID era or at least the worst of it. Still, I'd imagine right there's going to be masks required and mm-hmm. limited seating. Mm-hmm. Um, which will also help make sure that we are getting past the worst of the COVID. 
Yeah. And now we are getting over it. So with those in place, which hopefully they will be, I will also go and see Black Widow in theaters. And then for all the future movies, which, you know, we'll see if they actually do have the option. It looks Mm -hmm. like they're not going to. They're really hoping that they can get past this COVID stuff so that they can get people in the theaters and get that nice box office money. Yeah, absolutely. For those as well, I will be trekking on into the theaters. All right. And speaking of theaters, it was announced today, today or yesterday, that Regal Cinemas uh, here in the States is going to reopen, uh, soft reopen on April 2nd in some locations to coincide with Godzilla vs. Kong, which is opening March 31st. And then they're going to do a wider release, wider opening of their theaters on April 16th to coincide with Mortal Kombat. And in May, uh, Cineworld is the company that owns Regal in the States, and they also own some theater chains in the United Kingdom, and those theater chains in the UK are going to open in May. And also Godzilla vs. Kong will be on HBO Max. And Mortal Kombat, is that going to be on HBO Max too? Should be, right? It is. Yeah. It's, yeah, part of all those 2021 movies, which seems like they're, I mean, they're doing it. So I think Dune and Matrix 4, at least for now, if they continue going with this plan, mm-hmm. will also do that dual release on HBO Max for no extra cost. Which is yeah. crazy, because if there's any movie that should be seen in theaters, well, it's Dune. But then also, I mean, Matrix 4. Yeah, both. I couldn't imagine not going to the theaters to experience that, which hopefully it will be a beautiful experience. Well, I sure hope so. I mean, I love Keanu Reeves. I love Timothy Chalamet. They both sound like good movies. People have a good time. Anyway, our box office breakdown for the last weekend we were sort of going back and forth on who would come out on top between Raya and the last dragon and Tom and Jerry. And it looks like Raya once again is just slightly above. It made 5.2 million, which is a 10% drop. And Tom and Jerry made 3.8 million, which is a 7% drop. Tom and Jerry is having a really great hold right now on the theaters because it's just one of the only things in there. I mean, I'm just very impressed with how well it's been doing just as a Tom and Jerry movie. That's live action. That isn't good overall let alone during covid times <laughs> it's very impressive uh after tom and jerry the courier which is a benedict cumberbatch movie about the cuban missile crisis that nobody saw made two million dollars so i guess somebody saw it and chaos walking made 1.9 the tom holland fans are still out there trying to support him abysmally it's not it's not working it's no. still i think what the total is now seven million something like that which really is just that is hilarious, amazing <laughs> that it can gross that little amount of money. Very funny. Yeah, in our box office predictions for next week, we do have a film opening. It is called Nobody, and that is starring Ben Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk, no, Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> what is going on with me? What is happening? I don't, I don't understand. Know. I, I even that read the script. And I saw Ben Odenkirk, and I thought, Ben Odenkirk, yeah, that's correct. And then you just said it now, and I was like, that's not right. It is definitely Bob. Bob it Odenkirk. It is Bob Odenkirk. Okay, that was definitely a Ben Affleck thing. And then I think the <laughs> Josh Grisham mistake was Josh Miller, the writer of the Sonic Hedgehog thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what is going on. Maybe I need those glasses, too, to protect Maybe me from the blue light. Maybe you should start some coffee, yeah. Wake yourself <laughs> up. Yeah, getting the stuff twisted. Yeah. But okay, so Bob Odenkirk, who 
is some then someone you may know from Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad before that. He's mm-hmm. starring in this, and it looks like it's an action thriller movie written by Eric Holstad, or at least that's what I wrote down. So we'll see if that is true. It is. But true. he wrote the John Wick series, movies one through three, and I think I just heard something that he's not going to do four and five. So R.I.P. to the fans of John Wick. You may see a dip in the quality there. Yeah, he's not. He's not actually hands-on writing. John Wick 4 and 5, but that's okay. He right. wrote a couple episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which should be cool. Hey, look at that. So yeah, yeah, definitely a prominent name in this action thriller space now. So that Oh, oh look at that. Out. You did get it wrong. It's Derek Kolstad, not Holstad. That can't be true. It's true. You put an H instead of a K, which There's is not... No it's Kolstad. Man, you're all over the place today. What is happening? I'm dying. What is going on? Holstad, no Holstad. That doesn't even. There's no explanation for that one. <laughs> I mean, H and K, they're close on the keyboard. You might have just slipped the finger. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, it's uh, nobody is directed by Ilya Nashuler, who also directed Hardcore Henry, which is the first person action movie that a lot of people said was dizzying. That had uh, Charlotte Copley and Tim Roth, amongst others. Which I heard was okay. Uh, Camden, our friend Camden, already saw Nobody. And he said that the action was cool, but the story was just a little meh. So I still want to watch it just because I love Bob Odenkirk. If I can watch it somewhere that's not theaters, I'll do that. If it's in theaters, I just probably won't. And, I mean, in terms of box office numbers, I'm not going to see. We're not going to see a big draw here. I don't don't know if Bob Odenkirk has the pull for a theater during a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, there's just not enough demand for another action movie with all the Marvel stuff and John Wick coming out and Marvel or Matrix coming out and DC. There's just not a big pull for action stuff as there used to be. So I don't, I don't think it's going to make a lot of money. Oh, well. Right. Do you think it will beat out, raya and the last dragon at least do you think it'll get over that film well we know ryan the last dragon is going to drop again so it's going to be some value less than 5.2 million i'm guessing around 3 million at best i think nobody can do slightly better than 3 million maybe 5 or 6 million is my guess Mm. because it's a new movie it's a movie that adults can go see rather than kids because they've been needing an r-rated movie to go see maybe um COVID restrictions are starting to loosen up. People are getting vaccinated. More and more people now are going to be willing to go to the theaters. So audience attendance can only go up from here unless there's another spike in COVID cases. So more people will probably be willing to go to the theaters over this weekend than we're willing to go over last weekend. And Ryan the Last Dragon is just going to drop. So I think nobody will take our top spot. That's my prediction. don't think so. I don't think so. I think it may hit three mil. I'm doing the pessimistic route this time. We'll see if that will work out. Do you wanna but, you wanna bet a dollar? Yeah, Try and win your dollar from last time we bet. I don't I don't <laughs> want to bet a dollar on this. But I do think not confidently enough to bet on it, but I do think that Ryan the Last Dragon will remain in the top spot. Probably around four million is what it'll get, and then I think nobody will come underneath that and then Tom and Jerry. 
it'd be wild if nobody didn't surpass both Raya and Tom and Jerry. So we'll I think see it'll if get it, something. I think it'll get sandwiched between them, but I don't think it'll be the number one movie at the box office. But we shall see. We shall see. We'll indeed. update you next week. All right. Well, over this weekend, the Snyder Cut of Justice League was released finally, and Ryan and I watched it. So for those of you who were afraid to watch it, maybe, or watched it with us, you can listen in as we talk about how much we liked or disliked it. Did you like it, Ryan? First impressions? Before we get into it? So, first impressions. Yes, I liked it. I did. I liked it, too. Oh, he got us. Snyder got us on his team. Uh, what was it? It was two weeks ago. I said that I was talking about Moulin Rouge and I said, because I saw Moulin Rouge, Baz Luhrmann was no longer my least favorite director. And now Zack Snyder was, well, now I've seen the Snyder cut and Zack Snyder is no longer my least favorite director because of how much I like the Snyder cut. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. And my new least favorite director is John Lee Hancock. So we'll see if if he can do (laughs) something good. (laughs) Because uh, I've seen The Little Things, and I've seen The Blind Side, and I've seen The Highwaymen, and they're all boring and bad. Not a fan. The Blind Side with Sandra Bullock? Yes. Well, that's just a white savior film just off the bat, which I'm not a fan of, and it is also just boring. Dang. Very boring. Movie. Well, John Lee Hancock, you got to come out with... I don't know if you have any cuts of any of those films that would make them not boring, but... The Hancock cut. <laughs> so, wow. Snyder was able to get you on his team for this. This weekend, watching all of his DC movies over again, he really won me over. Because Man of Steel I always kind of liked. And the ultimate edition of Batman v Spider-Man, which is the only edition on HBO Max, so you said was Spider-Man actually... That time. Did I say Spider-Man? Instead of Superman. Yeah. Ah! Something's going on. Something's in the air. And it ain't COVID. We're getting the, taken down by something. Yeah. The but the deluxe edition of the ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman, which is the only cut of Batman v Superman on HBO Max, has half an hour of added material and it's recut together by Zack Snyder. It was good. Like it was just good. It, it's still the ending is still kind of stupid where they because they still say like Martha. And he's like, why did you say that name? And that's still kind of stupid. But everything Mm -hmm. leading up to that was so much better than I remember it being. And it was just very good. Everything leading up to the end was very good. Right. Yeah, it seems like an issue here with Snyder is just the stories that he wants to tell are on a scope that does not mesh well with theatrical releases or at least Mm -hmm. the theatrical releases that warner brothers wanted to put out there yeah so yeah i haven't seen the ultimate edition of batman v superman but i remember not like i was never one of the people that really despised the original one i always thought i was like yeah that was fine that was good um and i also have always had good feelings towards man of steel Mm -hmm. so i've never been a snyder hater or anything but it does seem like when he's given room to breathe to flesh out the stories Mm -hmm. more that a lot of those problems people did have with things like batman versus superman and then the justice league film from 2017 those Mm -hmm. get wiped away because he does his vision 
it is there. He's not yeah. a madman. There is something there. And when he's able to execute as he wants to, turns out, hey, it's pretty good. Yeah. And that's why streaming services work well to his benefit is Warner Bros. would never release a three to four hour Justice League movie or Batman v Superman movie that is R rated, which both of the, the ultimate edition of the Snyder Cut of Justice League are both rated R and they're over three hours each. And uh, a major studio is not going to release that movie because if they can cut it down to two and a half hours and make it PG-13, more people get to see it. You know, when you have a shorter movie, that means you can have more uh, run times in a theater in, at any given day, which gives you more opportunities to make more money for more tickets. So you want a shorter runtime for a movie. The reason that they that uh, Endgame was able to be three hours is because it's Avengers. You know, p- people will pay to see it over and over again. That's why it made so much money. Is even though it's three hours, they can risk that because so many people are willing to see it. And you don't want an, uh, a big movie like this to be rated R because it's hard for rated R movies to make a lot of money. I mean, Deadpool is the only rated R movie or one of the only rated R movies that have crossed the billion dollar mark. It's been Deadpool and Deadpool 2 and maybe an, uh, one other one. Like it's rare because not many people can go see R-rated movies in theaters. So the fact that it's streaming, you know, he can do his vision of an R-rated DC movie that is three plus hours. I mean, the same thing with Watchmen. I mean, Watchmen was already rated R and it was hitting two hours and 42 minutes and the studio wanted him to cut it down and he didn't do it and they released it the way it was and people didn't like it. And his original cut was three and a half hours or something. And I hear it's better. It's still not good from what I hear. I haven't seen his three and a half hour cut, but I hear it is better. So I would watch it over the two hours and 42 minute one that is bad. Right. So yeah, it seems like that certainly is an aspect of Snyder. He likes these big epics Mm. and often the studio execs do not do not at all. So there was a big fight to get this version of Justice League released. It started all the way back in 2017 once the version released in theaters, which was completed by Joss Whedon, who came in to carry out rewrites and reshoots on the film when, sadly, Zack Snyder's daughter passed away Mm -hmm. in May of 2017. So he stepped away then. Whedon came in to do the edits on the film, but then added some reshoots that version got released in november of 2017 and shortly thereafter released the snyder cut that campaign started people were saying that there's this version out there that snyder has of his original vision it's somewhere out there it's floating around on some sort of flash drive so people were saying we want to see that film Mm -hmm. and that carried through 2018 even when Warner Brothers denied that that cut existed. And then in 2019, on the two-year anniversary of Justice League being released, Snyder, as well as Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, and Ray Fisher, they all tweeted, hashtag release a Snyder cut, which obviously threw the fans into a frenzy, because for a while, Snyder had been flirting with the idea of like i know this campaign is going on and i'm gonna feed it here and there with sly little nods to it but here we have three of the core actors of the film as well as the filmmaker all explicitly tweeting out that hashtag 
And that got people mm-hmm. thinking, is this a possibility? Despite any sort of common sense saying that, why would a studio ever want to release a version of a film that effectively, I mean, was the death knell to the DC extended universe since, I mean, Ben Affleck didn't get his own movie. Things are happening with Henry Cavill, where it doesn't seem like he'll be reprising a role. Things with Ray Fisher, like he wasn't going to get the Cyborg movie that they announced back in 2014 or something mm-hmm. when they first announced the Batman vs. Superman movie. So it seems like it's entirely out of the realm of possibility that this would take place. But in May of 2020, Snyder and Henry Cavill, they were doing a fan screening of Man of Steel. And afterwards, during the Q&A portion, they announced the Snyder Cut. Zack Snyder's Justice League coming to HBO Max 2021. And now here we are, 2021, after it released on HBO Max. And we both like it. He made it a four-hour film. Yeah, crazy. Six chapters and an epilogue. He got, initially, it was... 30 million that they were giving him to complete the film, mm-hmm. but it has since gone up. It is now 70 million uh, is the budget for what it took to complete this. The Zack Snyder cut, mm-hmm. completing the CGI and then doing additional reshoots that he did. And that's all on top of a $300 million budget for the original film. So that is a massive investment that Warner Brothers did into this film, but then also into getting this version completed which is really for both Zack Snyder and then for the fans who have been calling for this for years. And it really is an amazing thing to happen, which, I mean, the circumstances of it are probably never going to be repeated. And there's been, I don't know, I'm sure there will be ironic and both unironic calls for release the blah, blah, blah cut. Like for Suicide Squad, they have released the air cut, which will not happen <laughs> no um, but i mean never say never but it seems like this is a one in a million thing that's happened here but thank goodness that it did because we finally got to see his vision which was in a four three aspect ratio for some reason but we finally got to see his vision come to fruition so that really is i mean that's a beautiful hollywood success story on its own yeah, and we're not even done with the Snyder Cut because recently Zack Snyder announced he's working on the Justice is Grey edition, which is essentially it's essentially just uh, his cut of Justice League uh, in black and white. So he's <laughs> he's working on that, and they're going to release that presumably on HBO Max and maybe in theaters if these are opened up, they can make some box office money from that. I'm sure, which I'd be, I would happily see this in theaters if there was an intermission. I think it'd be cool to see in theaters. <laughs> Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, and it's funny that he's finally, he said, you know what, this needs even less color. Make it black and white. His one wish is to just drain all the color. Yeah, I mean, the black and white trailer, the, tra- the first trailer for the Snyder Cut that was black and white, it looked really good. I remember looking at it and thinking, it's not too overpowering. Because like, sometimes with his movies, like the colors are cool and all, but sometimes it's just too much too saturated too uh, like the cgi colors are too uh what's what do you call it out there too extreme 
compared to the colors of real life that he uses in the movie. So the CGI just looks even more exaggerated sometimes. So I, I think a black and white cut would be cool. It would. But yeah, his, because one of the big complaints, right, the grimdark nature of BVS and it wasn't really because we didn't change the color grading for the Justice League film, but even the Man of Steel as well. He uses a lot of muted colors, desaturated, which people are not always fond of. And I mean, you get used to it when watching it, but yeah, I'm yeah. kind of like, brother, just put some put some color back in there. Like, let us see the reds pop. But he chooses not to. That's a style. Um, but a black and white version of it, mm -hmm. I guess would be interesting. I mean, I don't know. If that's what he wants to do for it, then I'm all for him doing that. If that happens to be the version that they'll throw in theaters, then I'll be fine with it. Just because you're right, I, this would be an interesting film to see in theaters and getting that full, like, old Hollywood experience of having the intermissions. So that would be fun. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about now the actual film itself. Yeah. And we can well, do a breakdown of each of the parts. Um, but like we said, our overall impressions is it's good. But with that four-hour runtime, how did you feel about that? Because we did break it up. But was it manageable for you? Did you feel like it went too long? It was too bloated? There's only a few movies that I've seen that are this long. I've seen the three Lord of the Rings movies, the extended editions of those, which are each four hours. Um, and I've seen Once Upon a Time in America, the final cut, which was four hours. And, I mean, watching a four-hour movie in one go, you gotta make sure the pacing is right. I'm a huge fan of long movies. I just think if you tell a movie on that length of scale and you make it like large and grand, like the way Lord of the Rings is or the way the Snyder Cut is, you can tell a really powerful story. You can tell arcs of different characters. You can tell emotional parts. You can cut the action. And as long as you keep the pacing up, you can do it in four hours. Like you can stretch it to four hours and people won't get bored. Like I don't get bored when I'm watching Lord of the Rings. I don't get, I didn't get bored watching this even though it's four hours long, you know? You just got to make sure the pacing is there. You got to make sure the characters are there and that the audience is always interested, you know? You got to always leave them wanting more, especially since this movie is cut into, what, six parts in an epilogue? So he has six, mm -hmm. six opportunities to really leave you on a cliffhanger. Like, okay, I can't pause it now. Let's watch the next part. Let's watch the next part. Let's watch the next part. What's going to happen next? They're going to bring Superman back. How are they going to do that? They brought Superman back and he's crazy. Where's that going to go? Next part, next part, next part. Just building up, building up. And I've never seen a four-hour movie that I've disliked just because I haven't seen many. I'm sure there are four-hour movies out there that I won't like because they're boring. Someone had to have made them somewhere. But, I mean, I just haven't found one just so much time gotcha so much time to make a movie how do you mess that up you know if you're given the opportunity to make a four-hour movie how do you fill in that four hours with something bad like how do you do that that's so much time like a lot of people struggle to tell a full and complete story because you only have two hours to do it four hours is so much time that an audience is spending with a character how can you not sympathize with that character how can you not empathize with that character for four hours you know 
Like it's got to be hard to mess that up, but I'm sure somebody's done it. It's just not Zack Snyder. Right. Yeah, there you go. So I I agree with that. I think the four hours, well, there are some parts that's like you could trim it somewhat and still be fine. Like a three hour, 30 minute cut of this, I think would also work just as mm. well. I just don't know what you would cut is, out. Well, we can get to that, but the epilogue, but we'll get to that. But oh, so yeah. this is double the original, I mean, not original, the Justice League cut. <laughs> um, that was two hours flat. This one is four hours and two minutes, but that's including credits, but essentially doubling the film. And what I thought was interesting is when I paused it, which was, again, like an hour and 15-ish in, something like that. Mm -hmm. If I were watching the original one, that's more than halfway through the movie. Yeah. I was watching the Snyder Cut. We just met Flash. That was the first time we saw him. And we still wasn't even at a third of the way through the film yet. Mm -hmm. And that really, I think, is the key for why this works, for why having that expanded, doubled runtime really is essential is each of those characters cyborg flash aquaman we had never seen them before mm -hmm. in the dceu they're entirely new characters and we need to build them up we need to start sympathizing with them like you said and that takes time we need to actually spend time with them we need to see their story we need to see them act as people have character moments and that is really what this additional two hours is all about it's mm -hmm. getting the full story of cyborg it's getting deeper background into the flash it's getting more scenes with aquaman that sets up the arc he's going through in his own individual movie that's where a lot of the time is spent with the with the extra content that is included in this cut mm -hmm. so that's why i think it's really really it's needed so that's why i'm 100 percent okay with it being this long um and i think it definitely works so for me other than slight bits that could be cut here and there or trimmed down at least the having it be this long also felt like an experience it was like this is the last time most likely that we're gonna get to see any of these characters together played by these actors with this filmmaker so why not just spend as much time with them as you can i mean this is it so let's make it count so i also like that aspect of of getting this behemoth film mm -hmm. it just gives yeah like you said it just gives it more time to flush out the characters we haven't met yet because when i was watching the justice league for the first time after watching this one i could see the scenes that joss whedon had to cut down to get that two-hour runtime and it was just so awkwardly cut around like the scene where steppenwolf steals the mother box from atlantis it's just so awkwardly cut around it's so strange how like the conversation starts between aquaman and mara it's just you can tell things are missing and that they cut things out and so it already feels awkward with the way it's edited and the story doesn't work when you cut out dialogue that's important to character arcs and it, it, when like it suffers from that and cutting out scenes that are important to the way Aquaman's character is developed. It's just so strange. Uh, it was a bad movie. I really yeah, did not I like understand. watching the Joss Whedon cut. I know that's crazy. Cause you, 
right? We talked about before, but you went in without seeing the Justice League. I had seen that before, mm-hmm. but I mean, at this point, I didn't really remember too much, and I didn't revisit it beforehand because I wanted to get that renewed experience of just the Snyder Cut. But <laughs> props to you for having the strength to go back to that, knowing it would be a downgrade, or at least thinking that it would be, and then seeing how much Joss Whedon did change with the rewrites and the reshoots and editing around these scenes that, like you said, are much more impactful. Like the whole Themyscira thing, the Amazons, we -hmm. spend much more time seeing their battle with Mm -hmm. Steppenwolf and then the parademons that come out. And it makes you care a lot more for not only the Amazons, but for the the villain that is Steppenwolf and seeing him actually be a genuine threat. Like that that part of the I don't know what the room was called, but when they essentially had it crash down the cliff, sink into the sea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that was awesome. And then talk about the the weight of them making that sacrifice and choosing mm-hmm. to have those warriors go down trying to save the mother box and protect the world that was much more impactful and also more exciting the action was just better because there was more of it and it was edited edited together in a way that made sense because we weren't cutting out half of the fight scenes here and there so it's things like that which like that was motivated i'm sure by hey we need to get this down to two hours Mm -hmm. but you can definitely see how that damages the narrative that is being told and damages the experience of viewing it so certainly glad that we were able to get this longer version and spend more time with snyder's characters and his set pieces as he intended them and another one of the changes that was pretty major was with the villains in the justice league cut it's only steppenwolf Mm -hmm. he's a lone wolf he's doing it by himself and in this film we see that he is actually just somebody that is trying to redeem himself and serve his master dark side. And so we get an entire additional motivation to Steppenwolf, but then, but then an entirely new villain in dark side, setting up this big bad, the overarching villain that we would see for the future Justice League films. We also got Steppenwolf got a makeover. Which, what was your experience going from what we had in Snyder Cut to the Justice League? I mean, didn't he just look, number one, less threatening and less cool? He just looked goofy. He just looked so lame in comparison. In, in the Snyder Cut version, he has all those individual metal pieces that like fluctuate in and out, and like the helmet that like pulls apart so you can see his head. And in the Justice League, He's just a guy wearing armor, and that's just lame, I guess. Which I guess is what he is in the comics. He is just a guy wearing armor, but in Zack Snyder's Justice League, that armor is designed to be intimidating so that he looks scary. It's designed to look functional, not just pieces of armor that would probably do nothing. Like I'm sure his skin is tough enough. Like The armor he was wearing in the Justice League did not look powerful enough to stop anything that, that he's fighting like the things that he's fighting wonder woman superman batman that armor is just metal like it just looks like like iron or like steel that's not tough enough in in 
Zack Snyder's cut, it looks like real like alien armor that is tough, that can fight back, that can handle a punch. And it's intimidating. Like the way the little scales move back and forth. It's just better character design for the CGI department, if you ask me. It's just crazy. Cause, yeah, and then... I... Yeah, go cause, ahead. Because cause Joss Whedon came in when they were pretty much done filming, and he did a couple of reshoots, but watching the Joss Whedon one after watching the Snyder Cut, he didn't, like, most of the footage in the Joss Whedon one is still Zack Snyder filming it, but because most of the CGI had not been completed or even started by the time Joss Whedon got on board, he, like, he can't change the way the live-action actors said things and the way they performed because it was already recorded, aside from reshoots. But for the CGI characters, he can completely change them. He can bring them back in to re-record. He can have the CGI changed. So you watch these scenes, and it's the same shots as in the Zack Snyder cut. But Steppenwolf is saying something completely different. He looks completely different. The CGI is completely different because he has control over that in the post-production process. And another thing that I thought was interesting was in Joss Whedon's version, he got Danny Elfman to do the music. And it does not work. It is not good. Danny Elfman has like that, that susical kind of like orchestral kind of fun thing that you see in like Nightmare Before Christmas and other Tim Burton movies and the original Batman. That's just kind of like orchestra fun, lighthearted kind of stuff, which is what he was trying to go for. But it does not match the visuals that Zack Snyder had already filmed. Like it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. And then you watch Zack Snyder's cut and he has someone in there. Who does the music for the Zack Snyder cut? I got to check. I don't think it's Junkie XL, is it? I think I have. I think that might be it. That's my best guess. It is Junkie XL, but they credited him with his actual name, Thomas Hulkenborg. But yeah, Junkie XL just comes in and just rips off, ex- like or not rips off, but like writes off like the best music that he could do, that just fits Zack Snyder's style so well, and is just so powerful and just awesome. And it fits like that's the problem with Joss Whedon's cut is nothing fits because it's half Zack Snyder, half Joss Whedon. So nothing matches. But you you give an artist full independent control for the most part, like the Snyder cut does. And he can pick his team how he wants and he can design it how he wants and make everything match. It starts to work again. True. Danny Elfman should not definitely. Yeah, that was a choice. He's great at composing stuff, but it just like you oh, said, he's amazing. It just doesn't fit vision of what Zack Snyder was going for. There was moments so, yeah. in Joss Whedon's version where Batman is like doing something, and Danny Elfman will default to the Batman score he wrote for Michael Keaton's Batman. Like you can hear it; like it's the same <laughs> he- sort of riff. <laughs> That's funny. Which is it's hilarious. It's so funny. But yeah, so that's a, a good change, getting that music to actually fit what Snyder's going for. And then I also think on the whole, the change of including Darkseid is mm. good because it, it breathes more life and more depth into the Steppenwolf character and seeing the dynamic that he has with Darkseid. But also, I mean, the purpose of it was to set up him as the big bad for the future films. And it's just curious to me that in the Justice League version, they chose, probably with advice 
and direction from the execs to cut that out, to consider that as expendable, even though that is something that would generate excitement for future films and to see where the rest of these characters are going to go in the story down the road. They got rid of that, which I just don't know why, because I was excited by the potential of Darkseid and what we were seeing with him in this version in the Snyder Cut. So I really don't know why they chose to do that, if they were already trying to tank the the Snyderverse or right, I mean, already do the shift to the more just disjointed, standalone individual DC films. It doesn't make sense to me, because for me, Darkseid certainly worked, and I want to see... Like, I want to see where this is going to go. I want to see mm-hmm. them go face-to-face with them. Yeah, I mean, when they brought on Joss Whedon, we know we already know they said, you know, make it shorter, make it funnier, make it lighter. It's too long, it's not funny enough, it's too dark. And so Joss Whedon's solution to that was trim up the plot, get rid of a lot of things that are unnecessary to just telling the story overall. Like, character stuff, you can get rid of it. Setup stuff, you can get rid of it. Just tell the basic story of Steppenwolf showing up, Mother Boxes, Justice League has to form to fight him and bring back Superman. That's the way he cut it. Because you have to cut out two hours, which is a massive thing to do. I mean, so he just cut out characters. He cut out Darkseid, cut out Desaad, just cut out Apocalypse in general, and just did Steppenwolf is here. They're fighting Steppenwolf, and they're trying to get the Mother Boxes back. And that's all he did. Instead of including all this great stuff with Apocalypse and all that. And... I don't know. It's just, of course, it doesn't work because you watch the in the Joss Whedon version, they still show clips of the original battle where the Atlanteans and the Amazons and the old gods and the men all band together and the Green Lanterns all band together to fight the invaders. But in the Joss Whedon version, it's Steppenwolf. Like they just completely rewrote the CGI to be Steppenwolf instead of Darkseid. Just, just so they could cut out the character. And, I don't know, it weakens the idea that Darkseid is the overruling power that goes to each planet individually to conquer it. And also makes Steppenwolf kind of look like a sissy, because when Darkseid loses, it's it's in Zack Snyder's version, it's much more subtle. But in Joss Whedon's version, when Steppenwolf loses, he's crying about it, and they have to pull him back into the ship, and they're like, this is bitter for Steppenwolf. And he's it just makes him look like a crybaby who has to win. I don't know. It's right. not not as subtle. They're just telling us what his feelings were, you know, and that's not storytelling. Sure. Yeah. See, one thing that I was wondering about is because it did still feel like Darkseid was weak in the beginning. Like they're obviously setting up this as like, ooh, this is the guy, the main villain. But then he did get beat by, I think it was what Ares who threw down the axe. Mm-hmm. He didn't aim for the head the mistakes that just keep coming if you're gonna axe a dude that is trying to destroy the world and take over the universe aim for the head always go for the head but so they did beat dark side and i was like what this is kind of making me feel that he is not as powerful and fearsome as they want us to believe he is but apparently so that was like a young version of dark side and not the full adult version that we see later on in the film, which I don't know if that was conveyed clearly enough 
because it seemed like like I don't know what was the difference or what we were supposed to visually spot as the difference between the dark side we see midway through the film present day versus 5,000 years ago when he was coming to the planet for the first time maybe that was just something I missed but for me I was like mm, I don't know if that worked and then also how did my man forget the anti-life equation or where the planet that, that he found the anti-life equation on that seems like something that you would remember if you so... are so intent on getting that equation and taking over the world and the universe how did he forget okay so yeah two thoughts when i was watching the scene where Darkseid is initially invading my thought was he's fighting all the old gods he's fighting all the amazonians he's fighting all the atlanteans and he's fighting all the men with these parademons who are not very powerful and not very smart and he's still almost one like all these people and now he has had more experience he's a stronger enemy he has a bigger army and he's only fighting six people like he's only going to be fighting the justice league there won't be there might be a bunch of amazon i don't know what zack snyder was planning on doing but from the perspective is now these people can't come together it's just these six individuals who will come together so it's a much more daunting challenge for the people of earth and dark side it's tipped in his favor a little bit now my thoughts on the anti-life equation I I think this is what was supposed to be taken away from it, but I could be wrong. So my thought was, we know that Steppenwolf betrayed Darkseid, and I think that betrayal was taking the anti-life equation, which in the process lost planets for Darkseid, like Darkseid lost control over planets and over individuals. And Steppenwolf hid the equation on Earth, he just didn't know it was Earth. And then, because Ste- when, when Steppenwolf... Steppenwolf is the one who remembers that the anti-life equation is on Earth because he feels the dirt. And so he's like, this is the planet I left it on. I can finally get get good with Darkseid. I can finally, you know, earn his trust back by getting him back this equation I took. Something like that, I think. I could have sworn. That, that was my thought. Well, I don't... Initially, I was like, okay, maybe that makes sense. But it wouldn't because Darkseid he went to the planet and he saw the anti-life equation. It was there. It was already on earth way back then. Um, and when he leaves, nothing changes. Like it's still on earth. Like Steppenwolf didn't take it from a different planet and then put it on earth or take it from earth and hide it on a different planet. It stayed on earth and dark side visited earth. It was there. He left earth. It was still there. Steppenwolf is now on earth and finds out, Oh snap, it's here. So I don't know what made them forget that it was there, or maybe, I don't know, the anti-life equation, something about it forces people to forget something like that, to forget the location. I have no clue. That was just something that was always in the back of my mind as I was watching it. So I wish they would have cleared that up a bit more. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was reading up on anti-life just now, and... So basically what people, the gist is, is that somehow Darkseid lost it a long time ago. He didn't know where it was. I don't think that was him finding it on Earth when he first came and visited. That was just him smashing into the ground and uh, violence erupted. And it just happens to be like Steppenwolf also smashes the ground to find the anti-life equation. But anyway, Darkseid loses it centuries ago. And then Steppenwolf finds that it's on Earth. So that's just how that's set up. 
And that's going to lead into, or was going to lead into the nightmare flashbacks or flash forwards that Batman is having in his dreams. Um, people think that Zack Snyder wanted Darkseid to find anti-life equation, which manipulates people's emotions. And then Darkseid would have manipulated Superman's emotions to make him evil after supposedly the death of Lois Lane is what it is. So that's what people think Justice League was kind of leading into before the Snyderverse was canceled. That's about that. Gotcha. Okay, still not entirely convinced by that. <laughs> still think it's doesn't entirely make sense, but I'm glad you shed some light on that. And yeah, unfortunately, we won't see how it ends up going. Darkseid taking the anti-life equation and doing the whole Nightmare Injustice storyline that seems like Snyder was hinting at, especially with the the additions he made to the epilogue. But, yeah. Moving on to the Cyborg character. Again, this film gave us a lot more Cyborg. He was certainly the heart of the story. That seems mm-hmm. to be the intention Snyder always had for it. And Joss Whedon and the Jeff Johns, the other producers, were not about it, apparently, because they cut out so much, and it is really a disservice to his character, the entire relationship that he has with his father, Silas Stone, was a beautiful arc, at least to me. I thought, you know, starting out with seeing him already not really happy with his father because he's always at the lab, he's not showing up for the games. Mm-hmm. And then that is just amplified by the loss of his mother, of Victor Stone's mother, and of being transformed into the cyborg against his will by Silas Stone. And so now not only is his the life of his mother gone, but his own life as he enjoyed living it, that's gone too. It's not a normal thing that he can just go out and like take a walk on the street or something because yeah. everyone would look at him he feels like a freak that sort of thing mm-hmm. so seeing that develop over the course of the movie with silas being kidnapped and then cyborg coming to save him that's really the motivation for him to work with the other heroes in the justice league and then seeing that develop to him gathering the mother box and then we get to see him really be the one who revives Superman. We see the unfortunate sacrifice that Silas Stone makes to mark the mother box so they can find it and mm-hmm. find where Steppenwolf is trying to create the unity. Which is, it makes so much more sense than the one they did in, in the Justice League where he's just like, Cyborg, you're connected to it. Can you find it? And he was like, maybe. And then he just finds it. Right. Like, yeah. You could have done that before. Like, Exactly, yes, that made no sense. And this one has emotional weight behind it, because now we see, we originally thought, like, oh, it was an attempt to do it, and then it failed, and he just died for nothing, but then we see, no, there was a purpose behind it, and it completes the relationship, or at least it just furthers the relationship between Cyborg and his father. And I Mm -hmm. think that was cut, right? Like, he didn't, the father didn't die, we don't see what happened. Yeah, no, he's still alive at the end of Justice League. Dang, they changed that whole. That he didn't whole even arc. die. Yeah. So all of that 
was really interesting and it all leads to the ending where he's hooked up to the mother boxes and he's trying to deunify them and when finally he's able to get linked up with them he goes into this like vision sequence and sees him with his mother and father and they're like hey we can make the pain all go away just join us just stop what you're doing and we mm-hmm. see cyborg finally go from being just really upset with his circumstances and saying f the world essentially to saying i'm not broken and i'm not alone mm-hmm. and he breaks apart the mother boxes and saves the world that's a beautiful arc that he went on and the entirety of it was cut from Justice League. It was insane. Yeah. It's just ridiculous amounts of cutting here. Like the whole, a lot of the Flash arc was cut. Um, his whole introduction in Zack Snyder's cut where he saves Iris West from being, from being killed in a car, like a really wicked car accident. And it's just super cool how he, we see him in slow motion grabbing her and like slowly lifting her down and they're staring at each other and then he zooms back off away. That whole scene is great. And then the scene in the prison where he visits his father in the Justice League one, that one's in there, but it's cut a lot. A lot of the dialogue is cut out and it's just sort of uh, basic, very basic character development just to like, it's more like plot development just so you know who Barry Allen is and stuff. And in here you're learning about Barry Allen's past and at the same time learning about him as a character which is much better for his development. And then that whole conversation comes back at the end when he uses the speed force and goes back in time as he approaches the speed of light to save the world and push. Yeah, he was push cyborg into the mother boxes to deunify him. So that whole sequence of just him running as time rewinds and like stepping on the ground as it reforms and then hitting cyborg and then that pushing into the, scene where he's in that vision like that whole part was just amazing and how that was developed throughout the earlier parts of the story and how it built up to that moment for the two of those characters fantastic exactly like that's what is missing from the justice league movie is i mean these things still well the flash thing didn't happen at all the whole reversing time and pushing cyborg into the mother boxes Mm -hmm. That didn't happen at all there. Instead, we got the Russian family, which how shocked were you when you watched Justice League and you were like, why are we, why is he pushing a truck instead of doing what he did in the Snyder Cut and actually be a meaningful part of the effort to stop Steppenwolf and the unification? Yeah, his character is really obnoxious in the Joss Whedon version when he's like, just talking about how he's afraid of bugs and he doesn't want to go in there and he's afraid of death and he's afraid of all these things he just seemed really annoying and it was for like his whole character in the joss Whedon version is just comedic relief just to make it funnier because that's what the producers wanted the whole thing where he pushes the car and he goes dostoyevsky and then just runs (laughs) off it's just completely meaningless and it has nothing to do with his character he's purely there just to be the flash there's no character to him there's no development to him he's just Hey, look, the Flash is there, which is really boring. It's just nothing develops for right. him. Yeah. Just bad. I feel the same way. He still serves as a comic relief character in this one, and still in some ways he's a bit obnoxious, but he's endearingly so 
that becomes mm -hmm. a part of his character and it's different from right cyborg and batman who are these more conventionally i mean just serious mm -hmm. and solemn so it's a nice change up but as you said there is actual depth to his character in this one and when they have the the big plot moments where mm -hmm. cyborg is tearing apart the unity and when flash is reversing time they root it in character moments in cyborg saying his family and choosing to see his circumstances as a blessing now and saying no i'm not broken and i'm not alone and then flash having that line of oh i am one of the best of the best i hope you know that something which is a callback to what he was saying to his father what his father was saying to him when they were speaking in the prison chambers so both of those i mean they were awesome scenes in and of themselves like it was really beautiful watching that mm -hmm. the reversing time it was amazing and i i love the way that they do the flash with the lightning always coming around and bouncing yeah. off whatever electrical outlets are on and he always starts by like he whips one arm out and it seems like he's starting like that's how he starts with the speed force mm -hmm. so i just love that so on its own it's really cool moments but the fact that snyder is able to tie them into meaningful character moments as well makes it so much better and it's another reason why this works way better than the justice league finale did mm -hmm. and coming back to the flash still being comedic relief at the very least Zack snyder is cutting out the really obnoxious lines and leaving in the ones that are still just kind of funny because he still wants there to be some kind of comedy in his movie even though it has mostly a dark tone to it you still have to have some relief every once in a while and the flash does it without being uh too overtly obnoxious and like unfunny so it still works and the amount of uh, watching the justice league after watching Zack snyder's cut the amount of adr that joss whedon did where it what ADR is is basically the actors come back and they voice their characters like they'll dub over what they were saying so there will be times where it'll be a shot of something that doesn't have the character in it and the character will say something and that's Joss Whedon saying all right we're going to add this bit of dialogue in there to be funny Ezra Miller come back in you'll record it we'll put it over a shot that you're not in so it'll just seem like you're talking just the amount of times they did that is ridiculous and the amount of lines that are so bad it's horrible Ugh. too much too much impact on the film too much editing of it to make it funnier bad right because it wasn't just cutting down what snyder had it was adding those additional elements to strike at the more marvel-esque lighter tone mm -hmm. and it didn't work they really are and it, two very different movies. Even though it's just essentially the same plot, two very different movies. Yeah, 100%. And it's, I don't know, it is remarkable how, I mean, Snyder Cut isn't this really somber movie. There's a bunch of light comedic moments that are sprinkled throughout, but they are more, they're not just out of, nowhere they're not randomly thrown in they actually seem to arise out of the moment 
out of the scene that the mm-hmm. characters are actually in as opposed to just random additional like tag-ons for a a comedic beat at the end of a scene so. yeah like in whedon's version there's the scene right after batman recruits the flash where ezra miller's like what's your superpower and ben affleck's like i'm rich and like in whedon's version he just drives away and then there's like a little bit of danny elfman's score lightly in the background and it's like okay but then in Zack snyder's version as soon as he says i'm rich he like guns the car and it just like this loud revving and then junkie xl score comes in and it just punctuates the the comedy of it and it's fantastic i agree i agree aquaman i liked this aquaman because we did get to see more of his background and for instance like volko played by willem dafoe Uh he came in and he was like here's this trident you can't continue to avoid your responsibilities you need to step in here and i liked all of that stuff and i also liked the unique sort of moral compass that aquaman had where initially he's trying to be aloof he's not joining the team refusing to do that but you see with him helping that icelandic village him helping the the boat that was getting capsized Mm -hmm. and then later on when he's actually a part of the team He's hesitant to bring Soups back, partially because he's like, we don't know what's going to happen here. But I think also part of it is maybe him just wanting to leave Superman out of it, just let him rest. And later on, when Cyborg's dad is killed, he's the one pointing out, like, this is on us. We just did this here for, like, he just got killed for no reason. Yeah. Not yet noticing that it was a purposeful self-sacrifice. So I liked each of those moments because it did provide that additional depth there. And I think I can't remember too much of how he was in the Justice League, but it seemed like more of, I don't know, he was just this, like what you would imagine, oh, a cool biker dude, but he's from the sea. Yes. Like that was it for him in the Justice League. Yes. So yeah, I felt like, yeah, there was more depth here and I enjoyed it. Because there's that one scene in Joss Whedon's version where uh, they're about to go on their assault and Aquaman's just talking to them. And uh, the whole punchline is that Wonder Woman had wrapped the lasso of truth around him. So he's just being like awkwardly honest. And it's just supposed to be funny. And he like calls Wonder Woman hot. And then it's just like awkward. It's not funny. It's strange. And it adds nothing to his character. It just makes him seem kind of creepy. And then you compare that to what Zack Snyder did and just the introduction scene where he's walking back into the water and Bruce Wayne is trying to talk to him and you have the like Norwegian villagers around him and they're all singing as he's like walking into the water. It's just beautiful. Just hearing them sing and like in, in Whedon's version, he just walks in and says something to Bruce Wayne and swims away. And there's just no impact of what he does for the Norwegian people at all, which is lame and uh, was it norwegian or icelandic oh it might have been icelandic i have no clue i don't you know if they right specified there. it or not it's probably icelandic maybe so yeah definitely i did enjoy aquaman more in this one the one thing though mira and her british accent which that wasn't in right i'm not misremembering that wasn't in aquaman the movie 
that was that in Justice League? Did you ever read a I don't remember anything about Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> I I watched the whole thing in theaters and I don't remember a single thing except Nicole Kidman was there. And I watched all of Justice League and when Mara was on the screen for the one scene she was in where she talked to Aquaman for four lines because they cut down her scene. I just could not tell if she had an accent or not. I mean, she had to because it was the same scene and that's the only scene she's in. So they didn't change unless they ADR'd an, an American accent over her, which I don't know why they would. But I, I don't know. I just her character was just pretty much non-existent in the Joss Whedon version. She's literally she fights Steppenwolf for about 20 seconds before Aquaman shows up and then her and Aquaman have a 15 second conversation and then he leaves. Right. That's it. Weird. Yeah, there I could have sworn that it was not a British accent. So I don't know if, again, if that's one of my episodes of misremembering here or if they did, in fact, change it from the Justice League version to the Aquaman version. But that was weird. That was anytime she was speaking, I was thinking about that because I don't, she's not actually British. No. I don't think. And I, it was not a great accent. So that was just one thing that stuck out to me in the wrong way there. But Wonder Woman, she, this time around, didn't have that bickering with Batman where they were sort of butting heads as being the leader of the team or trying to bring Superman back so he could be leader of the team. Mm -hmm. And in this one, again, there were times where she felt like she was the designated info dumper with the, which I think was also the case in Justice League, where she oh yeah, it was a spiel about but the apocalypse. Yeah, someone had to do it though, you know. Right. There's so much information to be presented. Of course, there's going to be times where it's just pure exposition. All superhero movies have that scene where they just explain the background of what's happening, and Wonder Woman just naturally fit into that role, pretty much. Yeah, I agree. So I'm not opposing doing that info dump there. It just seemed like mm-hmm. it felt. I was noticing it as I was noticing that Wonder Woman seems to be inhabiting this role yeah. a lot. And I don't know if all the times that the narration she gives was great, but for the most part, I enjoyed that. And I also liked in this version, which Snyder was like, let's make it rated R. So let's make Wonder Woman a full on killer. She was smashing people into those walls and you mm-hmm. can see the blood splatter left behind. So that was interesting to see she really feels like a warrior in this one and she still though has that nice caring heart where she's she's trying to reach out to cyborg and connect with him as part of trying to motivate him to join the team and in that moment after she vaporizes the one terrorist she turns Mm -hmm. to the little girl and is like you know what princess you can do whatever it is you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be, which I don't. I just thought it was funny after brutally destroying the existence of that one dude. Turns around and is like, "Hey, I know you just saw that, but look, life is good. You're amazing. Keep doing what you're doing." <laughs> yeah, so I like that dichotomy that Wonder Woman is able to have in her character. Yeah, and I like that Snyder is setting up her return to Themyscira at the end of the Zack Snyder cut rather than her just existing as part of the justice league. Cause last time we see her in the Whedon cut, she's just with uh Batfleck. 
hanging out at Wayne Manor talking about the future of the Justice League. But in here, she in the Snyder Cut, she has that scene, and then she has another scene at the end where she's where the arrow landed and the fire burst out, and she's holding the arrow and looking towards Themyscira, thinking about returning. So I think that's cool. It's a cool idea. I 100% agree. I don't know what they're going to end up doing with Wonder Woman 3, but I hope it is that. I want to see a present-day version of Wonder Woman where we see her now colored by the circumstances of her being with Batman and Superman and then now Justice League as a whole. I want to see present day Wonder Woman doing whatever she's got to do. And I also think, I mean, they've had a lot of Themyscira in both of the Wonder Woman films and I think I can't remember. Was that present in Batman v Superman? Um, no. Themyscira? Okay. No Themyscira. No. But so three films now, both Wonder Woman and then this one, a lot of Themyscira is what we got to see. So I would like to see some sort of story related to that. I don't know what it would be, but of her returning home and taking on a new role, perhaps. But yeah, certainly excited for that going forward. And I also am excited for Batfleck, which we're never going to get a movie for, which is so tragic so tragic because he's good i'm warming up to it yeah watching the other cut of batman v superman because in batman v superman he's mostly just bruce wayne like he's very rarely batman and i mean ben affleck is a great bruce wayne like he looks like how bruce wayne would look he talks like bruce wayne he's smooth he's very handsome he's ripped I, I like I like Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne. I remember watching Batman v Superman initially and not liking him as Batman, but watching it the second time, it was much better. I think I understood the character a bit more because he's supposed to be like uh, the Dark Knight Returns Batman from the, the comic in the 80s where he's just old and gruntled, disgruntled and like just done with everything. So he's willing to kill at this point. And I think that's what Zack Snyder was going for because Batman kills a lot of people in the Snyderverse. He kills so many people. He uses guns. He plows through vehicles. He is killing people left and right because he's just so done with society. And I don't you do you remember a lot about Batman v Superman? Mm, that depends. I know I remember bits and pieces pretty well, but do you remember now, but what do a, you do you remember like a subplot where Batman would when he beats up a villain, he would brand them? With like a yes. bat symbol, was that I in the that original from the trailer? Though, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I feel like it's developed more in the because I don't remember anything about the original cut, but in the deluxe edition, it's developed to the point where like anyone that has that Batman brand, when they go to prison, they just die. Like the prisoners kill them because they have the oh Batman brand. So that was like not that's in the original. Yeah, because like that's Superman's big fuel is like. Batman is killing people. He's judge, jury, and executioner at this point. Like he determines who lives and who dies, and this is bad. And Batman is like Superman is too powerful. He's too reckless. He needs to be put in check, and that's why they conflict. There's no like when I remember watching it and thinking like, okay, Batman has reason here, but why does Superman hate Batman? Like there wasn't a big reason for him to hate Batman, but here there definitely is. Like Batman makes big mistakes, much like Superman does, and it's just cool to see the consequences of their actions balance out. Also yeah, the opening. Sure. And the I opening. also think 
the opening to Batman v Superman is so BBS, good. Yes. When Bruce Wayne is just running through the wreckage from Man of Steel. I remember liking it in the theaters, and I liked it even more this time. It's so good. His, Zack Snyder's openings are always the best parts of his movies. They're so good. <laughs> yeah, that I definitely think was universally beloved, that opening part. Mm-hmm. And then it's interesting. He started BBS with the end of Man of Steel, and then he started this with the end of BBS. So tying it all together, right? Because this is a essentially a trilogy. Mm-hmm. of these characters in the Snyderverse. And I also think that in the Snyder Cut, we're able to see more of those long-term arcs because in BVS, right, like you just mentioned, he's willing to kill. He's this grimdark version of Batman that's just fed up and is really doing everything he can to, to not just stop criminals, but to erase them. And we see with his interaction with Superman over the course of that film. And then now his whole arc is essentially to get a team together. Cause he's trying to atone for what he sees as his fault is Superman dying mm-hmm. or at the least Superman no longer being around is horrible because he was a great protector right? he wasn't too powerful. He wasn't something that we should be afraid of. He was a great guy. One of the best of us. And he should still be around. The fact that he's not presents an even greater danger than Superman ever did. So Mm -hmm. he's trying to gather this team to fill the void. But you also see throughout this film, even mentioned in a line to Alfred when they're butting heads over this, he says, faith, Alfred, faith. He's operating now on this hope that he didn't have Mm -hmm. before he got to realize what Superman was truly about right that cynical approach he had of oh superman can't possibly be good he has to be a danger is completely flipped now where he's willing to honestly probably do dangerous things that aren't really rational like reviving superman even though they know that's going to let steppenwolf locate the mother box and there's no guarantee that it'll be a sane superman that Mm -hmm. gets revived he's willing to do that because he believes so much in Superman now and what he represents and the need that we have for him. Yeah. And that's a great arc, which mm-hmm. you didn't get in the Justice League. Like I, It was present there, but I don't think it was as no, fleshed was out just, as this. Yeah, it was just Batman being like, well, we can't win without him. I guess we just need him back. And Wonder Woman was like, that's a bad idea. And he was like, I don't care. <laughs> and that was that was the whole discussion was just him saying, I don't care. We're doing it anyway. That's the plan. I love. I know you don't like this, but when Cyborg is like hooking up to the machine and he sees like the nightmare reality and he's like telling Flash to stop and Flash is like, go. I Like, I love that whole thing, because in in the weeding cut, they just count down and Flash just zooms in and revives him. But there's like the whole conflict of like, should he do this? Should he not do this? Is there going to be consequences? Is this good or bad? In the weeding version, there's not as much like thought about the consequences. They're like, yeah, sure, let's all do this. And Wonder Woman and Aquaman are like, maybe not, but they're like, let's do it anyway. And then it's bad, but there's much more stakes in the Snyder Cut, which I like. Right. And just to clarify there, so I do like the idea of them weeding out more of, like considering more of the possibilities of 
this is going to be a bad idea or this may not turn out the way we want it to. Mm-hmm. So I like that dynamic. It was specifically, though, when Cyborg hooks up to the machine as they're about to revive him, and then he gets part of that nightmare glimpse of the future. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that we saw Superman in that nightmare vision because I felt like it undercut him being revived. Because now it's been, what was that, like two and a half hours into the movie? Yeah. Somewhere around there. So we spent all this time living in the shadow of Superman. We haven't seen him yet, besides the very opening. And I felt like it was undercutting his return to see that glimpse of him being evil in the Nightmare Vision. So that's that particular part I didn't like. But I did like that at the end, Cyborg, he said no. And then Flash was like, go? And then yeah, that's went. so funny. Cyborg was going to not try to revive Superman at that point because he saw the potential reality mm-hmm. that they're bringing about. So that I did like. Um, and speaking of the revival of Superman, he was great in this film. We got all the new reshoots mm-hmm. with the Snyder cut, which meant no lip. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Talk about the peak of the uncanny valley, or I guess the trough of it Ugh. was seeing the horrid the CGI lip, the upper, upper lip, lip that moved on its own yeah. independent of any muscles it just flipped <laughs> around disgusting it was awful the worst part of the Justice League and it's just uh, that was just horrible opening, just opening on that shot how bold of Joss Whedon <laughs> to assume that audiences would be excited to see that and be like you know what This is the rest of this movie is gonna be good they had to know how bold they had to know it just looked awful and that it would have been out. it would have been so easy for Joss Whedon to be like, let's try it and then see it and say, you know what? It didn't come out how we thought it would. It doesn't look good. It's not as important for the story. Let's cut out the parts with the lip that like that beginning shot with him with the lip and we'll keep the other shots of the lip because they don't look as bad and we'll just try. But no, he kept that opening shot that just looks so bad. Yeah, At least was... the other ones. Like, when he doesn't talk, it looks all right because there's no movement. But when he talks, the upper lip moves on its own, which your upper lip doesn't do. It has to be pulled by muscles that are higher up on your face because there's no muscles in your upper lip. So it just looks bad. And at least in the other scenes, there's so much other CGI and it's a little bit darker to where you can kind of get away with it just a little bit. But in that opening shot, it's just dead on uh, plain lighting. You can very clearly see that there's just something seriously wrong with it. And he just didn't get rid of it when he easily could have. Yeah, Yeah, certainly a strange decision on the part of Whedon and the producers there to think that would be good. So Mm. thankfully that is rectified in this version. We get to see him. I was always, I was checking to see anytime he was on screen, I looked at the lip and I was like, oh, thank God. It's not moving. (laughs) It's real. So that was nice. Um, But then a lot of the best moments in this for me were Superman related. The hologram that Cyborg projected onto the mother box, I thought that was just beautiful. And then you had the score kick in there. I was like, yes, this is amazing. I'm and- confident in saying, because I remember hearing when Zack Snyder was first working on it, first working on Justice League, and they were contemplating splitting it into two movies because of how long his script was. I'm confident that that scene that he had written where they just mentioned Superman was the end of the first part one of Justice League. Because they, they, you could just so easily see 
They project Superman's image. They tease that they're going to bring Superman back. Cut to black. Yeah, I have to wait for the next Justice League. It could, they could have so easily done that instead of doing a four-hour movie or making him cut it down to two hours. And that would have been awesome. Right. I would I would think, because they originally did, right, want it to be two parts. I think yeah. it was announced as Justice League Part 1 and Part 2. Yeah. And that does seem like that would be the the thrilling part to cut it off on. So we're like, mm-hmm. oh, snap. Now we got to see the next one. It would. I'm wondering, though, when it changed to be just the one movie and if that affected Snyder's vision of it. Because I feel like the back half would need to be fleshed out more because there's, what, an hour yeah. and a half left. Yeah, I have no I, idea. Yes, I, I don't know. They could do that. But that did seem, and that was right at the chapter break, I think. So, yeah, definitely a perfect cliffhanger there. I was pumped seeing that. And mm-hmm. then the fight scene, when he does come back and he is messed up and he's just tearing through each of the members of the Justice League all until he spots Lois Lane, the love of his life, and that finally mm-hmm. pauses him, gets him to remember who he is. That part was fantastic. The uh, black suit, which looked really good yeah how did you feel though so he the part that i loved is him walking through the ship and you get to hear both of his fathers mm-hmm. fathers was a big theme in this film but you get to hear both Jorel and what's the name of his human father earth father i should know i can look it up Can't it's kevin costner his name's kevin costner <laughs> well the actor but i meant the actual I know. I the character know. So Kevin Costner, Superman's <laughs> father, he's him and uh, Russell Crowe. Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan yes, there you go. Another J. God dang it. So them speaking some of the lines that we've heard a lot throughout Man of Steel and then repeated as motifs in Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. And then we get some additional lines as well, but all speaking to the core of his character he needs to step up and represent the best of who we are and go protect us and then him with the fist on the ground and then the rocks start floating up the call back to the man of steel thing and then you get to hear the original Hans zimmer man of steel score oh it was fantastic it was amazing that part amazing the black suit itself again looked good but Partially, I was like, why? Why would he choose to? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a comic book reason, something about healing. But that wasn't explained in the film. So it seems like he was like, you know what? I'm going to go through a, a goth phase right now. Yeah. Since I just died, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the black suit. Now, when you were watching Batman v Superman, do you remember Kevin Costner being in it at all? No. Okay, because I, I never remembered him being in it. And in the Ultimate Edition that they have on HBO max. There's a scene where Superman is like questioning his powers and whether the good he does outweighs the damage that is left behind. And he goes, he's like climbs a big mountain and there he like sees a vision of his father of, of Kevin Costner. And it's such a beautiful scene. And Kevin Costner like tells a story about how, when he was a child, he like had to save his family farm by diverting like a flood away from it. And he was, uh, at home celebrating that he saved the farm and he didn't even realize that they had diverted the flood into a neighboring farm and like it killed the horses 
and he talks about how he still hears the horses screams at night and then uh superman's like did the screams ever go away and kevin costner's like yes they did when i met your mother and i was like ah so good like why would they cut that out why why would they cut out i don't remember if it's in the actual original cut but if they cut that out why would they cut that out it's such a good scene yeah that's amazing i really don't remember it could just be my memory so i don't know if that was in but it seems like something that the studio would be like oh we can cut this for the theatrical release so that may have just been something else he put in for the ultimate cut for batman versus superman and in this i think it may have been a one of the reshoots that snyder did for for the snyder cut Mm -hmm. not entirely sure but regardless beautiful addition I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And then seeing him manhandle Steppenwolf when he finally arrives to the battle, <laughs> yeah. that was fantastic. I liked, well, so first of all, he has a lot of faith in himself as Man of Steel when he just stands in front of the axe. Could you imagine if that just straight went through his shoulder? That'd but, be funny, but no, <laughs> that was that was a cool scene. Just, was, what does he say? He looks at me and says, not impressed. Exactly. And then he hits him with a frost breath. Then destroys the shield and then i just love you think he's getting about to like hit him with the right hook or something but then he just kicks him right in the torso and sends him flying i don't Mm -hmm. know why but i love that part specifically so that was incredible seeing him back and then the very end where he sort of lifts batman up out of the i don't know the nuclear reactor chernobyl thingy Mm -hmm. and then they stand on top of it all six of them, and you get this indulgent, drawn-out glimpse of each of them individually and then all together. And I was like, this is beautiful. Okay, That'd but Zack Snyder didn't make a mistake in that scene that I thought was funny. They they all get up on top of the core reactor, and they're all staring off into the distance, and then the ship shows up, and it pulls up in front of them, and then it does the long pan shot of them all staring off into the distance. But in reality, they're just staring at the ship. <laughs> for for a good 20 second shot they're just staring at the interior of the ship without getting in and i'm like you should have you should have done the pan and then had the ship come up ah that would have been better i guess yeah i just laughed so (laughs) hard because i'm like they're just staring at the ship right now yeah they're marveling at batman's superpower they're like wow he is that rich yeah wow yeah that's funny that's good okay any uh, other things you want to mention about the Superman arc? Um, it was just better this time around. We had more scenes of him between Resurrection and going to fight Steppenwolf. We saw more of him just kind of reconciling, being alive, and being happy to be alive and realizing that his work isn't done. I liked all those scenes a lot. It was just a better arc for him, I guess. Sets up more for sure. of Zack Snyder's future rather than, look, we brought him back. He's alive. Right. And speaking of that future with the DCEU, it seems like a lot of what was included in that epilogue were things that Snyder was planning on doing. We got to see, and they all felt like different after credit scenes. Mm -hmm. One of them was the actual after credit scene that happened in the theatrical release when Lex Luthor was talking with Deathstroke and said, hey, 
I think he was saying, let's make an Injustice League or make a league of our own, something like that. Yeah, which was a reshoot. I'm I'm like almost certain that Joss Whedon reshot that because it's a lot of normal Zack Snyder shots up until that line of dialogue when it gets super close on Jesse Eisenberg's face with a, just a blank background. So I'm pretty sure they just brought him in, put him in front of a wall and had him record <laughs> that line specifically so that Joss Whedon could be like, well, I'm setting up my own future. Screw you, Zack Snyder. Which is Which insane, because yeah, yeah, that definitely changes so much of the implication. Because here, he was like, hey, guess who Bruce Wayne is? Mm-hmm. Or, I guess, guess who Batman is? Bruce Wayne. So that sets up the Batfleck film, which would have him going against Deathstroke, which mm-hmm. would have been awesome. I'm so sad that we didn't get that. And yeah, and then there was, like, talks of Deathstroke appearing in, like, maybe another Suicide Squad movie. Like, Joe Manganiello was going to have, like, a bunch of scenes as Deathstroke in just various movies, and it would have been super cool. And then they just axed the whole future, pretty much, and let James Gunn come in with his own Suicide Squad that Deathstroke's not going to be in, I guess. Which, I guess, just kind of sucks. But they also set up an Injustice-style storyline with an evil Superman and Jared Leto. What did you think of that scene, Ryan? I think he's still bad <laughs> i know some people yeah. were like oh this is a improvement for me it was not i mean it an improvement not. sure but a low no. bar to <laughs> to get over and i don't know it was this part was this was one of the reshoots that snyder did for this and mm-hmm. I, it was just because he could he was like you know what i'm gonna just throw this out there because i can and so i can appreciate appreciate it for that but and yeah, I don't. This was never part of his original vision for Justice League, I don't think. But you can tell it's so mismatched with mm-hmm. the rest of what was going on. It felt like it was dragging on too long because it was such a long conversation. And yeah. there's interesting elements to it. And I'm like, yes, I mean, I love the Injustice games, the Injustice storyline from the comics. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I can be about this, but with Jared Leto doing whatever he's doing with the Joker, I'm not about it. And why tease it when we know we're not going to get it it's just making me miss what i can't have even more yeah i remember seeing jared leto in the trailer and thinking okay this is an improvement on the character design at least so maybe now we can show that jared leto isn't a bad joker he just had a bad script and a bad character design and that's why things went awry and then i watched the scene and i'm just convinced that jared leto is a bad joker it's him He's the one that's doing this, and it's not good. Ugh, it was just all over the place. Ben Affleck was trying his hardest to, to really sell it. Like, I do love when he says, I am going to fucking kill you. Like, that's cool. <laughs> to hear Batman say fuck yeah. is cool. But, ah, just, Jared Leto's so weird. Just not good. Just all over. He's just like, I'm going to be crazy to be crazy, and it just doesn't work. There's no nuance to it. I did not like it. Right. Yeah. Did not mean Definitely not one of the highlights of the film. They also threw in Martian Manhunter twice. And I can. This is another one of the Snyder choices to, you know what? I got my Snyder cut. I'm just throw this in because I can. It'll make the fans happy. It's something new that we didn't get. It made me happy. So it makes it interesting. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed seeing Martian Manhunter. Part, I don't really like that he was impersonating or was doing the shape-shifting of Martha when she went to talk with Lois because I felt like that was a good character moment and it would have been nice to actually see that mother-daughter-in-law relationship 
between them. But then it turns out she was just talking to some random alien. So that part, I was like, eh. And then towards the end, I like that better because it sort of speaks to the theme of people are stepping up. We got to take, you know, realize that we are stakeholders in the world and try to protect it. It does beg the question, though, of what was that man doing for all the events of this film and then the previous films? Wasn't he just, just a general? On the sidelines? He was, but that means he was a part of it. Like, he knew what was going on. And I guess it's a good twist because, oh, he was established. But why wasn't he using his powers to help Superman fight off Zod or to fight Doomsday? Like, he could have done it. He could have. But he chose not. An, being an alien on Earth is probably pretty hard, you know? Like well, Superman would know. They could. Yeah, yeah. But look at the reaction they had to Superman in Batman versus Superman. They had Congress hearings. They had people protesting huge threats like i wouldn't be like of course martian manhunter is skeptical about uh revealing his true identity especially as such a prominent member of the united states military like even at the end of justice league he does not openly come out and say hey i'm an alien he just tells it to ben affleck but i mean i still like seeing him i thought it was cool to throw him in there we'd never seen live action martian manhunter i did not like when he's with Ben Affleck and he says, some call me the Martian Manhunter. I just, I, I didn't like that. It was just bad dialogue. Cause, cause it's the same thing. It, it's the same thing with like Scarlet Witch in the MCU is they don't name her until WandaVision. And if she had just come out in like Avengers Age of Ultron and was like, and I'm the Scarlet Witch, it just would have been bad. Like just naming yourself something. Also, who calls him the Martian Manhunter? Like he said some, though. Yeah, he didn't name himself. <laughs> he was like, some people who don't exist call me. And he has a name I in the comics. Myself. Like, he could say his name is John Johns. Like, he has a name. And he just That's chooses true. to give him but, his moniker instead of an actual name, which is weird. Well, but I don't know. I think people wanted to hear, or at least Snyder thought people would want to hear Martian Manhunter uttered in yeah, the film. Yeah. And no one else would do it aside from him because no one else could possibly know so that was no it would have been kind of funny if ben affleck was like so what are you some kind of martian uh, uh, manhunter <laughs> or something <laughs> be so funny comes out in his pajamas and he clearly doesn't want to just be talking to this random dude the martian in front of him <laughs> yeah he's had and enough then, of aliens <laughs> for real he's like i just want to go to bed i'm tired so we also had a tease for Lois Lane being pregnant, which will never come to fruition, but that was also something that he included in there, which I guess may have been one of the original things, or maybe it was an addition now. Um, but yeah, those are different elements of the DCEU mm-hmm. that we're not going to get to see, or at least it's very unlikely that we will. Yeah, I remember seeing something online today. Where someone was like, bold opinion, I don't think Superman should ever go evil if Lois Lane dies. I think that's against his character. And I was just thinking, you know, in the Injustice storyline, the Joker tricks uh, Superman into killing Lois while she's pregnant. And that is such a strong, like, impact for him that, of course, he turns evil. And it's super, super cool storytelling to have him kill Lois himself. Is crazy. 
And like, I don't know if Zack Snyder was going to go that way or because I think based on what happened in the Nightmare Realm in BVS, uh, Batman has something to do with Lois Lane dying and it would be even more impactful if she was pregnant at the time when she does. So I think that might be where Snyder was going was like, ah, Superman had a wife, she was pregnant, she died, he went crazy. Now he works for Darkseid okay. or whatever, which I still think I would have liked to watch. I think it would have been cool. Oh, well. Yeah. Again, I I would like to see that. I would have hoped, though, that they don't rush it. I feel we would have needed at least another Justice League movie in between then where we get to really see them work as a team and all be together. Mm-hmm. We get to see Superman living out that life. And then we would have, I don't know, you can do the Injustice storyline for parts three and four, do an Infinity War endgame type deal. I think that would have worked a lot better yeah. than what it seems like they may have done, which is jumping to this as the next film. Hopefully not. Um, but as something that would happen in the DCEU, the Injustice storyline definitely would be cool. Because that's something mm-hmm. Marvel's not really going to play around with. They don't, I think, have something similar to that, or at least something not as established and adored as the Injustice arc is yeah so that would have been really really interesting to see come to film did you ever read the uh the injustice comics i did not there was like five it was five years between when superman kills the joker and when the events of injustice really kick off and like the comics tell what happens over each of those years and it's insane it's so good the comics are just amazing that i would love to see it on the big screen like there's a, a moment at the end of year one where they kidnap like Batman's team kidnaps Superman's parents to get him to calm down because he's going crazy. And that just makes Superman go crazier. And they all try and escape from Superman's wrath and Green Arrow gets left behind. And Superman just grabs Green Arrow and just punches him over and over again so hard that he just crushes his face in and just kills Green Arrow. It's crazy. So many people die. It's insane. Love that, love yeah, that comic. That would be great, but see, that would also benefit from having more of that universe established, doing more standalone yeah. films, introducing more heroes, so that you could play around with more mm-hmm. of those type of things in that film. Yeah, that'd be awesome, just to see. And I'm sure Snyder would love it to just play around with a really vengeful, malicious Superman. That would have been great. Yeah, but uh, alas. That is not the future we are going to get. Make your own future, as Barry says, the Flash. But unfortunately, the one that we are going to get does not have the Snyderverse involved. And Sarnoff, the Warner Media chief, seems to have shut down any and all <laughs> campaigns that may arise from this Snyder cut, which already sort of happened. People started saying, restore the Snyderverse. Now that they saw his vision, mm-hmm. now they want to see more of it. In a recent interview, I think it was Variety, with Variety, she mentioned that this will not be what they do. They're going to go with a multi-dimensional approach. So mm-hmm. essentially, like with movies like The Joker, having random standalone films that don't connect to any of the other films, that's what they're going with. And then they're also going to expand it into HBO Max shows, things like that. Mm-hmm. And the slate that we currently have, we know the Suicide Squad 
James Gunn's version is coming out 2021. We know the Batman, Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson, 2022. The Flash is supposed to come out in 2022. That's been in development forever as well. Yeah. So we'll see if that actually happens. Aquaman 2, 2022 as well. DC Super Pets, the most anticipated, is 2022 <laughs> as well. Shazam 2 is 2023. And then Wonder Woman 3, which will we're going to have to change that, I think, to not have the WW3 tagline uh, or abbreviation. Hmm. But that has been announced, right? But we don't know when exactly it'll come out. And we also know that a Blue Beetle film is in the works. And Ta-Nehisi's Superman film, the one that he's going to be writing, was confirmed by Sarnoff. Like she mentioned, oh, we're excited about that project. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like, going forward, Ray Fisher as Cyborg is out because he's having a whole ordeal right now yeah. trying to bring up abuse that apparently Whedon was doing during the reshoots and the cuts of Cyborg, the massive cuts that we saw taking out essentially his whole story, mm-hmm. Ray Fisher is saying is because like that was racially motivated by the producers. So he's dealing with that and hopefully things work out with him there and that he does get justice with that but doesn't seem like he'll want to work with Warner Brothers in the future and that Warner Brothers probably isn't wanting to work with him which is unfortunate because the fans have really embraced him now and he was great in that role he was fantastic in the Snyder Cut he was just okay in the Whedon version which of course is a result of reshoots and massive cutting but he's fantastic in the Snyder Cut exactly so unfortunately it doesn't seem like we'll see any more of him Ben Affleck, which, I mean, he returned for the Snyder Cut stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's a part of, like, he's still, I guess, fond of the role of Batman. I forget what the circumstances were that made him step away from his movie. Like, a lot of personal issues, something like that. Yeah. He um, was really going through, like, a midlife crisis or something there. Right. He got, right. like, that giant back tattoo. And his divorce. You don't remember that? He no. he got a divorce, and then he got a giant back tattoo of a phoenix rising out of the ashes of his divorce. <laughs> and, oh, boy. And then he gained a bunch of weight, and then he started dating Ana de Armas, and then lost all that weight, and then Ana de Armas left him recently, and now he did the... I mean, I think he's doing great now. Like, you know, I don't think he's... Currently, he's doing well. ...depressed anymore. Yeah. Which is good. Hopefully... We love Ben Affleck. Hopefully he's doing well. But yeah, it doesn't seem like, I mean, potentially, maybe, but doesn't seem like he'll be reprising the role in the future. And then Henry Cavill with the Ta-Nehisi film coming out. Seems like he's also getting booted despite coming back for the Snyder Cut and doing reshoots with that. Mm-hmm. So that's unfortunate. Those three key members aren't going to continue in the DC universe. But there is some, I don't know, it's just so sad to see them not going down the route. Like, it's okay if they want to do the multi-dimensional approach and have things like Joker, mm-hmm. Walking Phoenix, just have those random standalone things. Yeah. But still try to have a cohesive universe, right? Or at least one where we still have these characters that you established. As being part of the universe, we got to see a great Justice League film. Are they just not going to do another Justice League ever again? Despite yeah, having 
these characters already established because we love crossovers and stuff and seeing the characters interact and it's hard to do that when it's on in different dimensions you know like mcu is most likely going to be bringing in other dimensions so we might even see like multiple spider-men in the same movie like they're really bringing in everything into one which is awesome and it just seems like justice league is getting further and further separate which kind of sucks right yeah and again their approach to be like well we want to have all different types of audiences enjoy dc films because i think they were getting afraid of i mean snyder's style is very polarizing so you either love it or you don't Mm -hmm. um but again i think once people are able to see more of his vision more people end up liking it yeah it's just those theatrical versions gave a bad impression of his style because it wasn't his full intent um but they were like well we want to have we don't want to alienate any audience members we want to make sure we have some family stuff as well and it's not all on the verge of r-rated or r-rated stuff which again is fine but just give us at least a cohesive universe where some of these characters do interact with each other and are a part of the same world so but they also have uh, reportedly i don't know if this is true or not but it seems like emerald fennel who writer director of promising young woman is in talks to write a Zatanna movie. Which would be cool. That would be really interesting to see. Um, and again, like that doesn't, that would need to be connected to a wider universe. It can just be its own thing, which is awesome. But I do want to see more of the actual connections. And Black Adam, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, he's been trying to get that movie made. Mm-hmm. He's like producer on Shazam. And so he definitely wants to get that movie i think they're filming sometime that could be a total lie i have no clue perhaps uh, filming no sometime over the next few months uh so we don't know when that film will come out but that's also in development which would be interesting mm-hmm. so they do have these projects lined up and a lot of them like the flash aquaman 2 the batman they're all really interesting we'll just see if they ever end up relating to each other or not mm-hmm. but yeah what's your most anticipated of the current slate right now the suicide squad just because well that and the batman because i love james gunn i love his style i love both guardians of the galaxy movies i think he's just so good at taking these superhero stories and making them crazy but grounded and really idiosyncratic and just unique and i love all that stuff and so i think the suicide squad will be good very good and i'm also looking forward to the batman because it's i just i, I always wanted just a, a nitty-gritty deep look at the detective side of batman rather than the action the badass action kicking butt fighting big bad guys and big explosions and just get into like a, a good old-fashioned murder mystery which is what the batman looks like it's doing and I think that's super cool. Just like really even more grounded than the Dark Knight trilogy was. Just up uh, it's just a guy. He's rich. He's good at fighting. He's in a suit and he's just trying to solve murders. And I think that's super cool. Also, I love Matt right, Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's underrated, I feel like. Well, absolutely. So hopefully this gets him the love that he so deserves the first cloverfield movies fantastic the second two planet of the apes movies are fantastic uh I, yeah i really like matt reeves 
I, I think he'll do great with the Batman. For sure. All right. As a wrap up to our Snyder Cut discussion, what are some brief low points you want to throw out and then brief highlights? What's the main gripes you have with it that you're like, you know what, could have done without? And then the things that you're like, you know what, Snyder, this is what got me on board. This is why you're no longer my least favorite director. Um, well, for low points, I have the same problem with Batman versus Superman. The one I, the version I just watched, is it's great, and the scenes individually are great, but it's just kind of strange sometimes the way they flow. It's not always there. It's not always perfect. Like that's what you said in the script, and I agree with you there. It's just strange how kind of disjointed it feels at certain times, and. It really feels that way in Batman v Superman because there's a scene where he's going up to see Kevin Costner, like the image of his father, and he's hiking up the mountain, and then it cuts to Lois Lane doing something just completely unrelated, then it cuts back to him, and he sees Kevin Costner. It's like, you could have just kept that a little bit more unified rather than cutting back and forth. I feel like he's trying to create artificial pacing that way and try and build up, like, let's cut here, cut here, cut here, and if we cut more between scenes, the pacing will pick up. And it's like, you can stay on a scene for a little bit longer and really develop it before cutting to the next scene. But other than that, I really liked it. I know you had some other bones to pick with it. Yeah, just wanted to mention that was one of the main ones is, yeah, this disjointed scene-to-scene flow that he has. It just doesn't always work well. That was one you mentioned from BBS, one in justice league that stuck out was after aquaman showed up and then stopped the water or stopped the harbor that was flooding in to the underground what was it the train thing like an old subway Mm -hmm. Um, they all got onto the little bat crawler thing they were going up the wall and then out of nowhere cyborg just leaves like he just flies away which number one i was like did they get high enough to not get drowned to not get taken out by the rest of the water filling up so i was like what just happened here then it cut to something with steppenwolf and then the the cuts back to the cyborg bringing the mother box to the island again i think the striker island Mm -hmm. and he's like guess what i have it and i was like that made no real sense why cyborg would just know halfway done with crawling up the the harbor thing or getting away from the flooding harbor to fly away to go retrieve the mother box to come back and in time to say i have the mother box it just didn't work um and then cgi in some places not great i'm so sick of seeing the fake sun in the background of the sky it's just, oof, I don't know why, I but that has that. really grown into a pet peeve of mine. The instant I see it, I just want to puke. Uh, and there's a lot of that in here. And again, these are really minor nitpicks, but <laughs> the ancient singing that comes on every time Wonder Woman appears, especially when she's doing like an action thing, I just didn't like it. I felt like it was getting overused. I like I like giving the characters individual themes and playing with that. And I think part of the theme was just that ancestral music. I thought it was cool. So I disagree with you there. And then your favorite moment. 
my favorite moment was really the opening scene where Ben Affleck is just like trekking through Iceland and he gets to Aquaman and there's a whole scene of dot like the lengthy scene of dialogue where he's talking to Aquaman just trying to recruit him and then Aquaman like walks off into the ocean and they're all singing I just thought that was gorgeous I thought it was absolutely beautiful so that's my favorite scene awesome yeah my favorite I did want to just highlight one of the things I loved most about it was the theme of unity that they had Mm -hmm. for both the antagonist and the our team so they had the theme of unity of trying to get together. Batman's trying to scrounge up the heroes, the new gods, getting them together um, to fight off Steppenwolf or just any threat that may come. And then Steppenwolf, of course, is trying to unify the mother boxes into the unity. Mm-hmm. And then they were also both trying to bring about the return of this powerful figure. So for us, the team... It was Superman, and then for Steppenwolf and the Mother Boxes, it was trying to bring Darkseid over. So I just liked the parallels that were going on between them. But my favorite moment, my favorite scene, was during the Superman battle with the team. Mm -hmm. And it's the Flash running to try to find him. And then we're in slow-mo, the lightning's flying out, Barry's looking over at Soup's. And then you see him, just his eye, turn rightward. And we're like, oh, God. He's, well, that was in, he's that was fast, in, too. It that was, was in the leading cut, too, yeah. But you know it's Snyder, because it was also in this. So that was by far, for me, the best moment of the original one. I was like, that is just killer. Yeah, and it was I did like in that. this one again, because that was all Snyder. And you could tell, because it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right, well, last but not least, we're going to talk about our movie of the week, which for this week, it is Brokeback Mountain from 2005. It grossed $178 million at the box office. It was directed by Ang Lee, written by Larry McMurdy and Diana Osana, based on the short story by Annie Poole, and it starred Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michelle Williams, Anne Hathaway, and a bunch of other actors who were just getting their start who just I was just so surprised to see them in this movie. Like this was like this movie was like the start of a lot of careers, which is interesting. It won three Oscars uh, for directing, which Ang Lee was the first Asian to win the directing award, which is great. Writing the best adapted screenplay and best music for Gustavo Santolaya, which the music is phenomenal. It's mostly just an acoustic guitar and it's just so beautiful it's so powerful i just love it so much it goes well goes so well with the imagery Uh, it lost best picture to crash for whatever reason i have no idea why i can't explain it i can't i wish i could explain it but i can't but this movie brokeback mountain is beautiful i watched it for the first time last wednesday and i rewatched it again on saturday because i loved it so much you can stream it on amazon prime right now i encourage you to go and watch it if you have Amazon Prime or if you own it. It is fantastic. The scenery is beautiful. The story is beautiful. The performances are beautiful. The music is beautiful. It is just one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. And I cannot recommend it enough. It is so, so good. I love Brokeback Mountain. Wow. Absolutely yeah. glowing review. 
Oh, it was fantastic that, movie. That doesn't. I mean, yeah, if that doesn't add it to your watch list. I don't know Nothing what will because that was yeah. beautiful. You know what? I'm gonna add it right now to be watched. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> you got I will watch it with you. I'd be happy to watch it with you. I love it. I tried to get Alexa to watch it yesterday, but she was like, "Wouldn't that be the third time you've seen it this week?" And I was like, "Yes, so." <laughs> she was trying to cut you off. She was like, "You yeah. need to slow down." <laughs> Yeah, I probably needed to slow down. I've watched it so many times, but it's so good. Anyway, that's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week where we will be talking about anime, specifically Attack on Titan and My Hero Academia. Have a great rest of your day.